Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello guys, welcome to the next episode of the Challenger Tour podcast. Uh, this is going to be a nice episode. I've just returned from Szczecin, so we're going to have all the extra stuff from there. Uh, however, I will actually start with a Davis Cup tie, and it might be surprising to some of you, especially if you're listening for the first time. Uh, but I said after uh, the untimely passing of my friend and former co-host of the show, Jakub, that I am going to keep mentioning the, the Slovak players, you know, and sort of in order to... Um, just keep the the memory of his and you know how much he influenced the show and uh, Slovakia defeated uh, Greece in Davis Cup World Group 1 which uh, yeah I'm really sorry that Jakub couldn't see also I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry that I can't tell him all the all the stories from Stettin especially some that I won't even be able to tell on this show but about that later and uh, yeah, Greece actually uh, was slight favorites for the bookies from what I saw before the match, which I'm kind of surprised by, because they really needed, you know, Tsitsipas to earn, Stefanos, of course, not Petros, to earn three points for them. And uh, yeah, Stefanos even struggled against Lukas Klein. I'm gutted that Klein did not get that win, because I think it would have been huge for his confidence. He uh, saved 11 breakpoints in the first two sets, uh, still lost the second set tiebreak, and then retired 0-4 down in the third. Uh, but of course, uh, Molchan defeated Skorilas in the in the first tie, so it was 1-0 one, one after day one. Then Klein-Zelenai proved to be the, the decisive sort of um, win, for Slovakia when they beat Stefanos and Petros. It actually didn't even go to a fifth, and that's you know big shout out to Alex Molchan, who actually defeated defeated Tsitsipas, uh, unlike Klein, so it's Molchan who's going to get a lot of confidence out of this. So it was even 3-1 Slovakia, so a uh, wonderful effort. We're actually not going to meet Poland against, against Slovakia in uh, Davis Cup uh, World Group 1 playoffs next year. Obviously that was no guarantee even if Slovakia lost, but um, we would have been potential opponents I think the the draw is in in two days, but um, fantastic team, uh, fantastic win there for the Slovak team, and uh, yeah, maybe Molchan Klein, maybe they can take a lot of confidence out of this and uh, finish the year strong. They both really need the points, right? Molchan has fallen out of the top 100. He could still fight for the Australian Open main draw, though. And Klein, you know, he's had an excellent um, finish to the season in 2022. So he's basically trying to salvage whatever he has left and then come back strong next year because, yeah, he's going to have a lot to gain. So we'll see if uh, if the guys are going to you are going to be able to use this um, in the right way. And Poland, of course, won against Barbados 4-0, but that's not really... Um, unexpected. I mean, 4-0 is maybe unexpected because Pierczkowski beat Darian King, but uh, nothing really to write home about in terms of the Polish victory, especially with Hurkar. 
But speaking of Poland, I was in Szczecin this week. Uh, the Pekao Szczecin Open, formerly known, now it's called the Invest in Szczecin Open. And that's actually no titular sponsor. It's just the city. It's just the city uh, because the the city of Szczecin, the um, mayor of Szczecin, uh, they promised the tournament that if they cannot find a new titular sponsor, they will f- they will just just fill that role for three years at least, in terms of the funding. So um, yeah, fantastic job from uh, from the city there. And actually, it seems like it won't be needed anymore because I heard that they already had had like seven um, meetings with potential new sponsors planned last week. I don't know how these meetings panned out, but it is very possible that uh, the tournament will have a new titular sponsor next year. And by the way, this is this is pretty interesting as well that uh, this year it was tougher to find someone because everyone just associated this event with Pekao and the sponsor did not did not want to take the like the first edition after Pekao because they knew that this was still going to be Pekao stretching open for many and it kind of makes sense actually you know even like the on-court announcer right would just make a mistake and say Pekao stretching open I mean me definitely as well and um, yeah, j- j- just uh, personally, it's it's a bit of a shame we don't have Pekao anymore because it had that orange, um, sort of orange element, right? And then, for example, the tournament shirts used to be much, uh, much more interesting. But yeah, it seems like the tournaments will easily survive. So uh, no worries there. It's been one of the best challengers in the world for years. This was the actually the 30th edition of the tournament, but 27th as a challenger. So, um, yeah, thankfully, thankfully the event is going to stay there. And, uh, yeah, let's just chat about who, who won it. So Federico Coria beat uh, Vitko Priva in the final. And, uh, yeah, let's, let's just start talking about Coria. Uh, so, as you guys know, he was not really in great shape before um, Szczecin, before maybe the US Open or around that time, uh, because he had a few uh, months of being injured at the beginning of the year. And that was actually right after he got his career high ranking in the top 50. You know, he had that uh, main tour final in Cordoba, which I think he kind of blew. I don't think he really played his best, you know, he uh, against uh, Sebastian Baez. And the first two rounds here were very tough for him against Henry Squire and Lucas Gerch. And actually, maybe let's let's just start with the uh, bits from the press conference that we had here with uh, Coria. Um, you know, if you if you've heard Federico Coria speak English, you're, you know it's not going to be very detailed. But I'm thankful to to, to Federico that he tried at the at the presser, and it was actually really long. You know, he, he at some point he even said that he's pretty exhausted, you know, trying to come up with phrases and words. So let's uh, let's just maybe start with that. Um, I, I, whatever I will be able to cut out from that. I had a in the last year. I lost in the first round. Uh, I say I never come back. Not for the city, <laughs> for the, the conditions, because I play at, at night and I prefer to to play and, and our courts little little more fast but this year uh, the weather is great uh, I suffered a lot in the, the first round and the second round today I play amazing for me I play I don't know what to say play local because they, I heard the people support me and 
I want to say thank you, and I want to uh, I want to play here the next week because the people are very kind with me all the week, and, and you, you, the staff too, the whole boys. Uh, it's very important for, for the player receive the, the love. Uh, yeah, my brother told me he played here. I I saw the, the photo from this. Um, yeah, but the, a lot of Argentinian players won here. I I told I told with Agustin Caleri um, because he won here. And now he's the, a president for the Argentinian Federation Tennis. February this year, uh, my best ranking was 49, and I had two tires in my chest. And it was very tough for me because I missing a lot of tournaments like Madrid, Roma, Monte Carlo. Uh, I come back in, in May in Paris. And well, now I want to, to stay healthy. I want to, to play my best tennis, and I don't know the, the ranking, but this week it's very important for me uh, because 125 uh, a lot of points, and I am very very happy. Yeah, and um, as you could hear, he even mentioned there that in the first two rounds he was really struggling against Gerhen Squire, and then suddenly um, something improved for him. You know, Jaume Munar, Francesco Maestrelli, and Vitko Priva, these were insane performances. I think especially against Munar, I was so impressed with how aggressive he was. You know, he was he was just very comfortable being the aggressor against uh, the Spaniard, which players like, I don't know, Muleker, theoretically such a such a powerful player, right? Or, or even Kashnikovsky in the second round. I mean, players like that were not able to do that. They, they weren't able to um, be aggressive, win the points, and like uh, um, sort of try to out, outgrind Munar. And Korea actually was. He had that level of forehand offense on, in in the in their Sunday quarter uh, sorry Friday quarterfinal, which I was very surprised by. But this is actually why Federico is like a proper top one hundred player, right? Over the past I don't know a year and a half, he's been one and. And um, yeah, kudos to him for that, because this is really amazing improvement at, at 31 for sure. Um, by the way, I also kept hearing that uh, he was super nice to ball kids. He had like uh, already from the very beginning built a great personal connection with them. And, and uh, you could see that also uh, after the final. Um, his week also started a bit weird because he lost his luggage in, in, in Berlin because many players actually land in Berlin, not Stettin. Stettin has like a small airport and apparently there was a mess with that. The, the guys from the players desk had to help out because yeah, Korea was struggling to, um, to, to, to get the situation down there and uh, the, the luggage arrived Monday night. So on the night before uh, he had to play against Squire. So... Uh, that's quite a turnaround. And also, you probably heard Korea mentioning the different conditions in Szczecin this year, which was also a bit of a talking point here, because um, usually the tournament, you know, in September in Poland, it's it's getting quite breezy, it's getting, getting a bit cold. And Szczecin is more so, uh, like, known for, yeah, j just 
temperatures that are not comparable to the other Polish challengers, you know, and, and to what we have here in August or July. And uh, the, this year was actually the warmest edition ever I heard from, from people. And um, I think it impacted the playing conditions. There was also not that much rain. There was a bit of rain on Sunday, uh, sorry, Sunday on uh, Wednesday. But uh, there was also not that much rain, so the courts really played faster than they usually do. And and you heard Korea saying there that in 2022 he had this poor performance, which I think he's a little too harsh about, because he lost to Brancaccio in the opening round, but it was also a sick showing from the Italian. But it makes sense that, you know, the courts being so slow, Brancaccio with that flat, huge power that he has on the forehand, he was able to overwhelm him. Uh, whereas here, Korea maybe had uh, some other ideas against uh, against players like that. And um, yeah, uh, you could hear that Korea did not really want to come back in 2022 after the 2022 edition, but he changed his mind. This year it was a bit warmer. He felt a lot more at ease with, with what happened here. So um, yeah, fantastic run. Uh, it Does it seal his top 100 by the end of the year? I don't think it really does yet it's also kind of hard you know with the with all the new challengers and also how many more um big point challengers are uh on the calendar this year it's kind of hard to say where whether that's whether that's enough but you know if he just keeps getting decent results that's definitely gonna be enough then so um yeah that's 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 quite exciting for uh, for korea for sure to get these 125 points here and uh, let's move on to the finalist, which uh, who was Vitko Priva. He was on a nine-match win streak by the time he made the final. Let's maybe start with the interview that we have with him, which was done after he beat Flavio Cobolli in the quarterfinals. So let's do it now. Um, yeah, so from the from the stands, this was a very weird match. You know, he went up 6-1-5-3-40-love, and then he got like a huge boost to his running, hitting. What happened out there from your perspective? I mean, from, from my perspective, it was, uh, I was 5-3-40-love up, and I, I thought that the, the match is over, but then he hit, I mean, then he hit amazing, amazing shots just without stress, and and, and he, he went back the, 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 the service game on 5-4. He did pretty good. I, I almost didn't have any chance on the on the match points. So then was a little bit tricky because five four and serving. You never know. He was he was always fighting because the second set was. I think every game uh, we both struggled on the on the serve. We played all. I think all all, all the games uh, with with Deuce. So then then he just played better and made the second set and I'm happy that that I made the beginning of the third set and then he then he went down. Uh, so you are on eight wins in a row right now. Are you still feeling strong physically? Do you think that you can, you know, continue this towards the weekend? I mean, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying because, of course, the the physical game is it's it's not easy. But I'm feeling good on court, like with with mentally with mentally part. So this is this is good and this this help helping me uh, with the with the physical part. So I'm just trying to to to, to do the regeneration as much as I can and. That's that's the important key. And before you won Verona at the end of July, you weren't even sure that you were going to get into New York qualifying. Now you're like deep into the top 150. Are you that sort of a player who like really performs when the pressure is on, when you really need it to? I don't know. I, I didn't think so. But at the moment, I'm just uh, uh, the Verona. I, I, I made pretty good because, yeah, as you said, the, the pressure was was pretty high, and and I made it. So I'm I'm, I'm just trying to enjoy. And after Verona, I'm. I'm a little bit more confident, and that's 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 the that's the 
that's the key to my game and to play better. And I'm just, I think that I did a good, good, good job also in the practice. So now just uh, coming, coming back. And maybe just last thing, you've been working with Jaroslav Pospisil for a few years. Could you tell me something about, you know, being able to use all that experience that he has? I mean, uh, I think the, all, all the experience what he had, he he already gave me. We just uh-huh. uh, because I mean, uh, we are we are together almost I think seven years, mm-hmm. which is which is pretty which is pretty long, and uh, we are both uh, very same personalities. I think mm-hmm. that 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 we fit on court, that we fit outside of the court, and and we are just more. Uh, it's not like. Uh, it's not like a relationship between between coach and player. It's mm-hmm. more like a friend and friend. I think, I, ca- I can say. So that's 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 the that's the most important part. And and we are working really hard because I mean on the court he he's still able to play and we can still hit the mm-hmm. amazing amount of of, of points. And uh, that's 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 pretty good that his experience and his physical part it's still still on and he's uh, ready to play. Okay, thank you. Congrats. Thank you. Um, yes, and when it comes to Kopriva, you know, he is on a bit of a hot streak since um, Verona, which he won by the end of July, you heard me mention it there, and it's it's such a wild story, because now he's deep into the top 150, and when he played in Verona, he wasn't even sure that he was going to make US Open qualities, so he stepped up beautifully, also in that Verona final, he won against Sachko from 1-6-2-5 down, which will come in handy in a moment, and uh, this week uh, he was always trying to go for back-to-back titles with Turn, and honestly he was very impressive again. You know, we all know Kopriva is that sort of guy who, once he catches fire, he's very hard to stop. He beat Hoinski, he beat Roka Bataya in an insane physical battle. It was like two and a half hours, despite just two sets, and then uh, eliminated Koboli in that match that I talked to him after. He led 6-1-5-3-40-love on return, but Koboli just started firing winners out of nowhere and got a huge boost to his running as well, which was pretty sick. And um, Kopriva then got a retirement from Shevchenko and lost the final. And honestly, he will be a bit disappointed by the final. He was again 1-6-2-5 down, this is why I told you to remember it. And that's only when he started playing his best tennis. Until 1-6-2-5 down, he was ser- his serve was like malfunctioning, he wasn't handling Korea's, you know, spinier, higher ball uh, uh, well at all. And I think that's also a matchup thing, you know, Kopriva plays so flat when he when he's aggressive and like likes fast pace, likes lower lower bounces, I think, despite his clay expertise. And um and yeah, the surf of Korea was actually so much more dangerous, which is not true like ninety percent of the time Korea steps onto the, steps out onto the court, right? But against Kopriva he had some really good spot serving and Vit wasn't able to replicate that. I actually felt that Kopriva, despite trying to go for back-to-back titles, was the fresher player by the end of the second set. So maybe this could have been another um, comeback. And yeah, he did play very well at the beginning, from 2-5 to 6-7, sorry, at the end, uh, from 2-5 to 6-7 in the second set, I think Kopriva played his best tennis or at least like, you know, a, a very good level. So um, at least he had that. But until one six two five, he was weirdly um, off compared to the past month or so. Uh, but still a huge run. And actually, the, you know, this week I sort of thought uh, he's getting so many points right now. 
maybe next year is when Vitko Priva breaks the top 100, you know, the first half of the year when he has just two Challenger semifinals to defend. I think he really might do it. Um, I don't know if he would actually sustain it, in, in like sustain himself in the top 100. Well, I actually have my theory that he probably wouldn't. But yeah, I think I think that top 100 opportunity will be will be there. Obviously, 50 points from Szczecin would have helped. 50 more points than what he actually got. Uh, but still, that's uh, that's gonna be pretty nice. And um, yeah, it was it was definitely a pleasure to see Vitko Priva in full flight, as it usually is. When he's on, beware. That's that's all. That's all I have to say. Um, one of the semifinals was Alexander Shevchenko. And maybe let's start with the interview, which I actually did with him after the Sachko match. So let's let's do it. Um, so it looked like a very emotional victory for you. You know, two five down, three match points. Also the, yeah. the reactions that you had all the whole match. Yeah, I mean it was uh, a little bit like stressed. You know, it's very tough because he played so I think very well. And uh, yeah, I had uh, I had a lot of chances that I should have used, but uh, in the end, I'm happy with my victory. And yeah. uh, last few challengers you played didn't really go that well for you, right? A lot of first first round losses. Even right now in uh, Italy, you had this second round loss to Tseng where you had a big lead. So was it also more important for you? Because yeah, obviously because of this, because I'm not playing lately on challengers well, but <laughs> suddenly ATP, ATP results, results is yeah. going good. But yeah, I need to, you know, it's getting a little bit tough because now all the pressure is on you. You have to win these matches and to make, uh, you know, at least some movement in the ranking, you have to play at least the semi-final. That's the, yeah. the very, very tough step, you know, on challenges right now for me. And as you said, you had a lot of main tour opportunities this year. What's yeah. something that you sort of learned this year while, while playing in these events about you, about your game? Well, I, I, I found out that I can play against the top guys, you know, like uh, very tight. You know, I had a match with Skurkas, it ended up 6-7 in the third against Medvedev. I had the lead for two, you know, in the third with same Sinner three sets. You know, it just uh, gave me confidence now, and it just proved that I'm uh, I can play on that level, and uh, I can be for sure top 50 by the end of the year, I guess. Mm, okay, yeah. <laughs> thank, thank you. you. I appreciate it as always. And by the way, with this, Alexander Shevchenko ties Denek Kolash for most appearances on this show with four. Zdenek Kolash had a real chance to make it in because he was in the singles in Szczecin and he was also in the doubles final in Szczecin, in which case if he won the title he would have been there, but um, he, he does not make it eventually, so it's just Shevchenko and Kolash tied for the first spot now with four appearances. And uh, yeah, Shevchenko matches this week were absolutely crazy. I mean, every single one of them until the semis, they were just ridiculous. He played uh, Sachko, and of course, uh, as you guys probably know, the last few challenger appearances for Shevchenko, which I also mentioned in the in the interview, they have not been going great at all. And um, the, he lost to uh, Menshik in Bratislava, he lost to Daily Blanche in Poznań, that was huge, of course. He lost to Hong in an American challenger, he lost in the second round in Genoa last week. And uh, you, you could hear um, an interesting point from him in the interview as well, that um, sort of when he goes to a challenger right now with a ranking of 85, he basically doesn't earn any points until making the semifinals, which kind of puts him under very different pressure. And, and, and that's, I guess, quite obvious, but it's also interesting to, to hear a player say it. And uh, yeah, Shevchenko saved three match points against Sachko, 
And by the way, the no handshake there that you probably observed, that's just, I mean, I don't want to say for show, but that's something that, you know, Sachko does politically because they are actually good friends of the court. You know, Shevchenko, he has been living in Austria since he was like 10. He's, uh, as you guys probably know by now, a Ginter Bresnik protege. And um, yeah, he, he doesn't really have any huge connection to Russia. I even, I even talked to him about it off, um, let's say, off uh, record this week. And yeah, he just confirmed everything that I've been saying to people, you know, that, yeah, basically he doesn't have many connections to Russia and um, doesn't want to be treated as, as, as the enemy in this conflict. And well, um, let's let's see if, uh, because I, I, I think I also mentioned that um, about like a few months ago that there were rumors about him potentially uh, switching federations. That's also true. Uh, I don't know if he's going to do it. Like he wasn't, he wasn't sure yet how it's going to end, but, but these rumors were true. He, he also confirmed it. So, um, so, so basically, yeah, that was, that was only really for political since Shevchenko and Sadko are actually friends. They practice tomorrow on the next day. And against Brancaccio, he, uh, like that, that match was just absurd. Uh, he was constantly fighting. He wasn't looking great physically. He was constantly trying to just stay into the, in the match. He was down the break late in the second set. He was down the break late, late in the third. And then they played this insane tiebreaker. Um, it, he saved two match points and uh, he managed to win again. And then he had another thriller with Adrian Andreev. So by the time he made the semis, he was he already had like eight and a half hours spent on the court, which unfortunately led to his demise and the semi-final against Copriva ending after just 37 minutes. He was just spent physically and and that was all he could give. That was that was all he had left. So uh, from Shevchenko. I guess it's still fine, you know, he made the semis in 2022, he made the semis in 2023, but uh, definitely a very picturesque uh, road to the, um, to the final, to the semi-final, and this is, the, you know, this guy will be remembered in Szczecin, even though, actually, the tournament website did not promote him in any way, because, yes, uh, because uh, he is Russian. So the tournament website, the tournament social media. I mean, um, I heard from an I heard an interview with the tournament director, who said that all tournaments right now have to like fulfill the survey about how uh, like what their um, you know how how they uh, feel about Russian players playing. And Stetin said, "You're negative." That's uh, and that's visible to the players. So, for example, Ivan Gakov, the, he didn't play in Poland this year because of that. I think I think he was signed up for Kozerki. I'm not sure he was signed up for Szczecin. I don't remember now, but he definitely didn't play in Poland this year because of that. So, um, with when it comes to Shevchenko, he still came. He actually played uh, two challengers in Poland this year. Uh, but I think you know when he's actually at an event other than the social media um, accounts of the tournament not promoting him and also the fact that he got court one for every single one of his first three matches whereas usually he would be on central at least at least once and um, other than that I don't think it was really ever felt for him you know the crowd was behaving normally towards him and uh, I know the people from the tournament organizers uh, from the from the tournament organization also shared my feeling that you know he's actually a super nice guy and and that's that's really um, 
that that's really what happened you know so there there weren't any repercussions or so for for him coming there obviously um and um yeah Alexander Shevchenko, one of the one of the semifinalists. The other semifinalist was Francesco Maestrelli, and he played Federico. Uh, he played Federico Coria, obviously, in the other semi. Uh, huge run for him because also like this year has been so spotty, so patchy from him. He had that one final in June, but otherwise not all that much. And here he beat Cecchinato, uh, Gilarno Belli, uh, Bali, who uh, got the, got the wild card here, and then scored a massive victory against Pedro Kachin in the quarterfinals. So we were all sort of um, looking at a potential Munar Kachin quarter, and none of them got there obviously in the for the semis, which is how it works usually in tennis. We don't really get what we expect. And Maestrelli beat Kachin, uh, which was a great performance, I think. Uh, Kachin, uh, you know, in slower clay conditions all year, he hasn't been doing all that great, I think. So um, I am, I, I am, I am definitely like I didn't under, uh, I didn't um, rate this enough. I actually underestimated what the impact of still slower clay because it was faster this year, yes, but still slow clay conditions are for Kachin because um, the first two rounds he was very clean actually against Rincon and Kovalik and then against Maestrelli you could just see that Kachin's game is like a little lacks that little bit of edge bite you know his serve was not doing well uh, like was not getting him enough advantage and then in the rallies he would just try to outpush Maestrelli he still almost did that uh, with a great comeback attempt but then missed a match point of his own and double faulted when he was much point down again. So Maestrelli got the win there and against uh, Coria it was a bit of it was a bit disappointing but I don't it's something he excelled in this matchup, you know. His baseline hitting is a little one-dimensional and inconsistent too and against Coria he kind of had just had no answers, you know. He was he was still trying to play that same ball time and time again not really willing to close down the net, not really willing to open up the court more, and Coria just really thrived against the sort of ball, against the sort of rallies that Maestrelli was, um, like, wanted to play with him. Coria would just, you know, play one good counter-attack shot and then sort of drift the rallies in into the uh, patterns that he felt most comfortable in. So basically him dictating with the inside-out forehand like he did against uh, Jaume Munar. Speaking of Jaume Munar, I think I'm going to talk about him now. We have a sh- we have a short interview with him, so let's do it now. Um, so good start to the campaign. You made it very physical for him and like tested his patience. Was it how was it was this how you you beat him today? Well, uh, I was feeling pretty okay today on court. Uh, I think I had my chances uh, on that long rallies, yes, of course, but uh, wasn't planned to be that physical. The, mm-hmm. The beginning of the match, uh, of course, uh, I am super comfortable in these kind of matches, and uh, this is how I play. But I'm trying to improve a little bit to be a little bit more aggressive. I've been during the second set, that's why uh, I made some mistakes that I didn't didn't need. But yeah, I think one of the keys today was the the patience and making him run a lot. Yeah. Um, so this is the first time you're playing here, and I was, I was actually a bit surprised because this is a very popular pick for like players who enjoy yeah. the clay. How did it happen that you never really... Uh, actually, because normally the last five years I've been finishing in the top 100, and at that point of the year I've been having a very good uh, season uh, in the first half of the season, so I, I had plenty of points, and 
wanted to play a little bit more in indoors and get ready for the final part of the season. Uh, this season was a little bit different for me. I had uh, some heat, pro- heat problems during the beginning of the year and I wanted to keep playing a little bit more on clay because of my fitness. Okay, and also last thing, uh, have you heard about the Spanish curse that we have here? Because this is the 30th edition and no Spaniard has ever won this event despite like nine final appearances, I think. So are you confident you're going to be the first one? Yes, of course. That's why I'm here. Uh, I'm trying to improve and trying to be on top of myself to to have a chance to, to win the tournament every time I play. So I hope here we have a chance to. Thank you. Thank Congrats. you. I appreciate it. Yeah, and I like that point from Munar to here uh, that um, the previous few years he was basically in such a good ranking situation uh, before stretching that he just wanted to start his um, indoor season earlier, you know. He was basically in a situation where uh, he didn't need any more points to finish in the top 100, whereas this year he did not have that luxury, as he said, as you, as he said because of uh, the injury that he had. In the, in the first half of the season so because he didn't have that luxury he he actually uh, chose to play Szczecin for the very first time which I'm glad he did it was fun to see him live sometimes you know when he played Molekar especially and, and in the latter parts of the match against Kashnikovsky you would sort of think how do you beat this guy I think Max showed how because he went 4-0 up in the first set on Munar but at the same time, he wasn't just wasn't able to maintain that sort of uh, net aggression and also, yeah, just the, the amount of winners that you have to hit. Moleker wasn't able to do that at all, and I thought that was going to be a nightmare first round. Munar was also uh, my pick for the title, by the way, and I thought Munar might be winning this really after the first rounds, but then Korea had that insane showing, really comfortable, like at sustained hitting, controlled aggression. So Korea showed that it can be doable, but honestly, his level to do it was absolutely insane. The way he was finding his backhand down the line, uh, the way he was playing the drop shots against Munar and, and killing him with them. Um, yeah, it, ta- it it really took a special performance from Korea to out, like overpower Munar. And um, yeah, I think at the challenger level, Munar, if he played it a bit more, he would still be an absolute monster. And it just takes a lot of... Um, experience i think also and a lot of good shot selection to beat him uh so yeah fun to watch live this was actually the first the first time i saw munar and you would think you know a pusher a grinder or something but no no he was he was actually fun the way he makes every single point so physical and against moleker you could see where the match is going after literally five minutes you could see that moleker has no chance of winning winning this but he it was actually still fun to see the, the rallies and we also have to talk about one more quarter finalist, who was Adrian Andreev. And uh, he beat um, Daniel Michalski, he beat Hugo Gaston, and then lost to Andri- uh, Alexander Shevchenko. So let's maybe start with the interview that I have with him. This was after the Gaston win. So uh, last year you played Mutet twice. Do you think that like playing Gaston was a similar experience because they're both like left-handed, lots of good defense, and also the variety that they bring to the court? Yeah, for sure. They're similar players. They play with a lot of variety, change of pace, uh, drop shots, uh, attacking and flat. Yeah, very similar game. So it was easier for you maybe to, to play him because of that? Did you, did you feel like that? I don't, I don't think it's easy to play these guys. I think they're one of the toughest guys to play. 
uh, I think big servers and this kind of guys are the most difficult to play because they don't give you much rhythm and uh, uh, even though I'm saying the opposite styles but it feels a little bit similar makes sense um, so you have this you, you have this great forehand now which I think a couple of years ago you didn't really like use as a weapon and um, mm. have you worked a lot of you know to, to get this in your game yeah I've been working on all of my shots I've been working a lot on my forehand back and serve volleys basically I've been trying to improve mm -hmm. movement I've been trying to improve all my shots and I think uh, my shots been improving all of them so Yeah, and maybe just one last thing. Um, so at the end of 2022, you had this great run of a few yeah. finals, semifinals and challengers. Yeah. Why do you think uh, you know this season hasn't been as successful, at, yeah. at least until now? I I was injured four months, okay. so it was a difficult year after coming coming back from the injury. Mm -hmm. It's difficult to win matches on this level because everyone is playing great, and when you get out of shape, get out of rhythm, you lose confidence and also, yeah, it's tough, it's always tough to come back from injuries. Okay, thank you. Congrats. Thank you. And Adrian Andreev, um, I think uh, he played exactly as well as he did at the end of 2022, which is good to see. You heard him mention in the interview that he was injured at the beginning of the season for like four year, four months. He was still playing time to time, but I remember seeing him live in Sekesh Fehervar where he retired in the quarters to Maroshan. And he was playing sort of sporadically. So, you know, that kind of explains how his season went. I read a tweet recently from a user that I usually um, agree with, I would say, Rusu Georgi, and um, he said that um, Adrian Andreev, like, th there are some players who are underranked, there are some players who are overranked, but there are also some players who belong at 200 in the world, and that's Adrian Andreev, and I actually don't agree with that. Um, I think Adrian Andreev is not destined for that sort of career, I think he still has potential, And that potential mostly depends on his forehand. That's po that potential depends on him developing that weapon. Because in the junior days or the beginning of his pro career, he was just a defender. You know, he was just fast. He was just moving well. Right now, he has this fantastic forehand tool, which um, honestly it can end points on the spot. He came out against Michalski and just blasted like 10 forehand winners in five games to go 5-0 up. He didn't sustain that, but against Gaston, he was fun phenomenal in the last two sets. Uh, he won some very long games at the beginning of the second set where the match really could have run away from him and then just started playing his forehand offense the way um, I don't. I, th I think people don't still don't realize that he can. And against Shevchenko, he was actually struggling physically a bit. So was, so was Shevchenko. But uh, they still gave us a ridiculous thriller. He was saving match points left and right. That time he, he was the one chasing after Shevchenko, not Shevchenko, after his opponent, like in the other events that week. And Andreev uh, was just, um, at some point, uh, I think he saved a low 40 with ridiculous points, ridiculous forehand winners everywhere. So um, yeah, I, I was really glad to see Andreev play like that again because I know he has this level, I just feel like I haven't convinced enough people yet <laughs> that he really does. So um, hopefully we're gonna see it more from him.
And when it comes to the polls in the main draw, uh, I also have to mention that as usual. Max Kashnikovsky won a match against Yelesels. Yelesels, who's now 3-21 and 21 for the year. I saw he also withdrew from his next event, so his injury might be a bit more serious. And yeah, Yelesels is probably falling out of the top like 500, 600, 700 soon, if he cannot get any wins. He only has three challenger round one wins this year and uh, lots of points coming up. Um, and but before this week he was actually in big trouble because he couldn't even play an ITF you know to get more rhythm because he was in the top 200 and that's that's just how good his finish 2022 was uh, so poor times there for Yele but I think Max started very well his, his forehand drop shot was pretty insane in that uh, first set and then against Munar I didn't think he had a shot I just thought Munar was, was going to make it too physical but Max played with the right tactical ideas you know he was blasting the forehand he was inside out especially he was going over to the net but then at 4-0 you could see that his shot selection like got a little cloudy obviously he was already thinking about winning that set and that's something you cannot really afford to do against a player of this class and uh, yeah, he lost that. He lost that set. He lost the next six games. He lost the match. But I think it was good experience. This was actually his first match against the top 100 opponent, and Max is playing in Bad Waltersdorf this week. So we're going to talk about him also when it when it comes to previewing the, the next events. And um, yeah, his coach uh, is, uh, by the way, uh, the former doubles specialist, former top 100 doubles, Alex and Bure. So uh, that's that's a fun fact for you. Uh, I was I was able to chat with with Bure as well uh, this week, and um, yeah, it seems like it seems like he might be a good fit despite you know not really having that successful of a singles career. And Max definitely, I I feel like at the challenger level he needs to be aggressive. He needs to close down the net. So Bure is a good coach for that. I would hope. And um, yeah, I think he played with the right set of ideas. He just wasn't fully comfortable executing yet, executing them yet. And uh, Daniel Michalski lost to Adrian Andreev. Tight free set match. Uh, Daniel is going to come back to um, ITF 25Ks now in Santa Margarita di Pula, which is one of his favorite venues. And um, I, I asked him whether this is like a Australian Open thing already where he just wants to pick up points in 25ks he said of course the Australian Open is the main goal but not yet really he just hopes to get more match play because he felt like in his last few matches at the challenger level which were against you know Svcina um, Skatov Andreev he felt like he played well but he's just getting one or two matches every every uh, week, you know, and he's not fully comfortable with that. So he wants to drop down the level, play a bit more, get more match rhythm, and then maybe hit the challenger tour again uh, soon this year. Obviously, probably gonna do it on clay because that's that's his best surface. That that's the conditions he uh, he excels in. And yeah, I I would agree that against Andreev he didn't really do anything wrong, uh, other than the four all. Uh, three break points that he had you know and he didn't capitalize on them and then he lost the next game but he played well he he did what he could sort of level wise he he didn't capitalize on a on a big opportunity but but level wise he he was actually fine so um i wonder how he's going to do in santa margarita di pula and and both max and daniel will be fighting to get into australian open qualities this year we actually didn't have a single player from poland in the men's uh, slam qualifying so I really hope that this is going to change next year. I, I hope that's it, that it's going to be um, 
uh, that it's not going to be like that in 2024 as well. And basically we have like a few players trying to change that right now. And their main goal right now will be the Australian Open. And uh, yeah, also let's talk about the doubles and then I'll just say maybe maybe one more thing. And uh, in the doubles, it was Andrew Paulson and Vitaly Sachko winning against Denek Kolash and Sergio Martos Gornes. Uh, yeah, and unfortunately the final ends in a bit of a sour taste because Andrew Paulson and Vitaly Sachko, you know, especially, well, th- this this only goes for Paulson, but uh, at 4 all in the second set, there was a deciding point and Andrew Paulson tracked down uh, a collage sort of drop shot. It was even a, like collage barely tracked it and was a bit of a short reply, let's say. And Paulson tracks it down but from the stands it looks like double bounce, there's topspin on the ball and Martos Gornes just plays it into the net because he suddenly realizes that the point is not over, that the that the umpire has not finished it. And the, a long discussion ensued, but of course the umpire did not change his mind. I think it was a terrible call and honestly I think it was also obvious enough that Paulson probably could have called it himself which, yeah, leaves a, leaves a sour taste for sure. Again, this doesn't really go for Sachko. By the way, at the, at the trophy ceremony, Sachko said a beautiful message about, um, yeah, just thanking Poland for um, the help that we've given to the people of Ukraine and, you know, ended it with a Slava Ukraini, which was actually a, a really nice heartfelt message, um, I think. And... Um, yeah, also Kolaj and Martos Gornes didn't really congratulate their opponents uh, in the trophy ceremony, so they were clearly angry at them. Martos Gornes just said sort of, you know, congrats for the good week, and <clears throat> that, that, that's what he did. And uh, Paulson, uh, sorry, Paulson, sorry, Zdenek Kolaj just didn't mention the opponents at all. So clearly the guys were angry, and I, I honestly can't blame them, because this was such a huge point of the final, for all in return, right, deciding point. And uh, yeah, and they lost the final in two sets. Paulson, by the way, is on a 12-match challenger doubles win streak, but he is not focusing on doubles yet. And that's good because he has singles potential, absolutely. Uh, I feel like especially with Petr Noza, whom he has been partnering a lot, uh, they they actually could form like a fantastic doubles duo. But maybe that's something for the future, you know? Maybe in 10 years we'll see Paulson Noza form a, form a long-term doubles duo. Who knows? For now, it's definitely good for them to to focus on on that. And uh, yeah, and also we had Łukasz Kubot playing this as as all the Polish events, which was quite fun uh, because he finally got a win. This was his first win of 2023, but it doesn't, you know, it sounds terrible, but he only played like, what, five events? Played Davis Cup, then he played this one random Challenger Doubles event with Filip Bergevi, and then he played... um, Poznań, Kozerki and Szczecin. And in Kozerki he was still very quick, like playing very quickly after a surgery of some sorts that he had. And you could see it, he was not moving dynamically, he was not uh, twisting his body enough when it comes to the serve. Here the serve was better, he played much better, they defeated Matuszewski Wechnelt, which I, I thought was a huge surprise actually that they did. But that's mostly because of how Kubot played in Kozerki. And then uh, they lost to Molchanov, Vega, Hernandez, and had a real shot actually at the top seed Max Kashnikovsky and Lukash, at the top seeds Max Kashnikovsky and Lukash Kubot. They led 5 1 in the deciding set tiebreak. Um, so a promising for Kubot, but I still feel like his career is probably over. 
at the press conferences it was actually kind of hard to get anything from him to be honest with you because he would often just sort of roam around the topic um i wasn't really thrilled with with the way he was um avoiding questions from us to be honest but uh yeah when it comes to just uh pl- th- this one i'm actually not angry about at all uh when it comes to what he's gonna play now he just said i really don't know uh, because his ranking situation is such that even into challengers it's gonna be really hard to get and uh, it's gonna be so hard to find like a stable partner I think potentially with the two challenger doubles wildcards that we have in every draw, he maybe could play with some youngsters, you know, local youngsters and get wildcards like that. He's still the former doubles world number one after all. But I, I just don't think it's really going to work out in terms of, you know, playing weekly, uh, week in, week out. I think he also kind of missed the trick with not retiring at Davis Cup this um this September, because originally they wanted to host it in Lubin, which uh, he comes from, or like, you know, a city next to Lubin. And it would have been like a huge feast to to say farewell to Kubot. But it it is possible that if we keep winning in Davis Cup, Kubot might not even make it onto the team, you know? We might not be able to afford to put him there. So, um, yeah, we're going to see basically whether we win that uh, January, sorry, February uh, Davis Cup World Group 1 playoff tie. Because if we do, I think Kubot will not be able to join the Davis Cup team next year at all. Because we're just not going to be able to afford him. Uh, and uh, to, we're just not going to be able to afford to play him in the doubles uh, in order to have a chance at winning the tie. And uh, yeah, lastly, uh, I sort of hinted at that earlier, but um, as usual, Szczecin hosted that players party event in a, in a club in Szczecin. I uh, went there for the second time. I didn't go in 2019 and 2021. And I have to say that the party was even better than last time. It was held on Tuesday, I think. I cannot tell you everything that 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 happened there I basically will stay silent it's not quite a Jose Mourinho you know if I if I speak I am in big trouble situation but obviously I am I am going to be discreet and but yeah I have to say that it's very fun to see players in like a different more casual setting and and sort of be able to talk to them um to some of them at least on the uh, sort of more private note and and yeah just in in a in a situation in a scenario where you wouldn't really expect to meet a tennis player i guess you know a club middle of the week as well right but um yeah uh, that that's basically where i'm gonna leave it um great experience i'm, I'm really glad that they are inviting us every year and hopefully we didn't uh we as as journalists we didn't embarrass ourselves uh, and didn't get drunk enough uh for them to uh stop inviting us next year yeah now let's go, let's go over to the other events that we had this week when uh one of them the challenger 100 that we had was in ren and honestly the field was just as good as as in Szczecin. Um, even though it was a 100, but it was also indoors, so a different, you know, a different surface, and lots of good players showed up. And Maxim Kresi won the title, which uh, I don't know if it's a surprise, you know, Kresi is so good indoors, but he was free and 18 since the end of February, and uh, this was actually the first challenger that he played since Lugano 2022, and he lost in round one to Leandro Ridi. This is his fourth challenger title. 
And he beat a pretty sick field to get there. He beat Emilio Nava, Corentin Moutet, Mattia Bellucci, Gregoire Barrer, and then Benjamin Bonzi in the final, Bonzi via retirement. And he won all six tie breaks played. Honestly, they weren't as straightforward tie breaks as you'd think most of the time. And I was actually surprised with how scrappy on the defense Cressy was all week. He was able to turn so many points around, play well and return. So, so it was a great showing and like sort of... I don't want to say that he dropped back to the challenger level and instantly showed the quality because, um, well, that's sort of true, but I just think if he played challengers around maybe August or something, he actually wouldn't be winning them. But right now, I mean, he looked insane in Ren, and let's see if that continues because he's signed up for a lot more challengers and actually playing Saint-Tropez. And um, when it comes to Benjamin Bonzi, the finalist, uh, he uh, was coming off that awful loss to Lucas Polin in Cassis, played much better, uh, Ren is a challenger that he won in 2021, he beat Boage, Onclin, Gasquet, that was a good win, and Martino in the semis, so definitely a weaker run than, than, than the one that Cressy had, and in the final he went 3-1 up, before Cressy then started um, sort of pulling off a few points from behind with his slice, and Bonzi seemed to get some sort of a physical issue. I don't know what it exactly was. He had some trouble serving, but then he just decided to retire at 3-6-0 to down. The match was probably over by then. Uh, but still, that's that's good one. That's a good one for Bonzi, and let's see if he can recover for Saint Tropez, which he also won in 2021. And in 2021, he obviously won a lot of challengers. He won six challengers, which was, well, still is uh, a second um, score ever in terms of most challenger titles in a single season, be- behind Talon Griegsport, who also did it in 2021. Bonzi is of course tied with Elaina Wui, Chela. Uh, I'm forgetting one player. Oh, Bagnis and uh, Baez on that list. Uh, but anyway, yeah, uh, still a good run. I think co- coupled with his US Open third round, obviously, that's th- that means that Bonzi is coming back to form and we will just treat Cassis as some sort of an outlier, which maybe was related to him just flying back from uh, New York by then. Grégoire Barrer, one of the indoor gods, he was actually my pick for the title here, he beat Kacper Zhuk, Alejandro Morocanias, Radu Albot, didn't really do anything wrong against Max Cressy, I think the magical backhand pass that uh, Cressy pulled off in the second set tiebreak at like 4-all was really crucial, uh, it was a bit of an indoor kings match, right, between Cressy and Barrer and um, again, I just don't think Barrer did anything wrong, he hadn't played the challengers since... Aix-en-Provence, so this was his first appearance in four months, and he's playing Saint-Tropez again. Saint-Tropez is going to be really strong, Uh, you can already tell, probably. And then Matteo Martino was the surprise package in the semi-finals. He started from the qualifying, beat Nedun Hezian, Koulibaly, Shellbike, just one game lost, and then Antoine Escoffier in this three-setter in the second round. He then benefited from a retirement of Luca Pui, so... You know, not the strongest of runs, but Martino is sort of like streaky and from time to time he has a great challenger run, right? He has sort of gotten us used to this this random challenger run every once in a while. And uh, this was, I suppose, it. So, you know, right now it's going to be on him to show that it can continue. He is in the top 300 now at a, at a career high ranking as well of 286. And he just lost to Benjamin Bonzi in the semis, which was 6-4, 6-4, but, you know, it wasn't all that competitive, I would say. 
it was it was it was a fine match but it wasn't all that competitive i would i would probably um say that and in the doubles it was sander arens and david pell a very familiar pairing obviously some uh, players uh, guys who who have won like what 10 challengers i think over the course of the last five years and they beat um Antoine Escoffier and Niki Kalianda Punacha in the final. So that was a pretty surprising pair. Escoffier Kalianda Punacha beat Dumbia and Rebul in the semifinals. Uh, all right, and now we also have to get to the um, three remaining Challenger 75s that we've had this week. One of them was in China, one of them was in the States, and one of them was in, um, well, in Bolivia. So all different continents. Let's maybe start with um, Kerry in uh, the United States. So we had uh, Zacharis Faida win his second challenger title over Rinki Hijikata. And uh, when it comes to Sfaida, he had a very good run at the US Open. He usually plays well there, right? 2021-2022 at the US Open this year. He qualified and then took a set of Franz Serhundolo. And I can't say he was exactly back into this form in Kerry like instantly, but he played like a very college route of Ethan Quinn. I know Quinn is, has turned pro, but he did play college last year. Toby Samuel in the quarters also pushed him. But then a couple of great wins against Mickelson and Hijikata. The Mickelson was my pick for the title, so that one was especially um, surprising. And against Hijikata, unfortunately, the final had to be moved indoors and there was no stream, so we cannot talk about this much whatsoever um couple of tight fir- first two sets and then the third one was actually really lopsided um free breaks i think even for for Svaida. so maybe rinki ran out of steam who knows but we we weren't able to see it Svaida actually broke the top 200 with this run and also at a very high 168 in the atp rankings uh, Rinki Hijikata, as I said, the finalist, obviously he was the big story at the US Open, making the forefront, breaking the top 100, and in Kerry he was the overwhelming favorite in his first four matches, well, not overwhelming against Patrick Kipson maybe, he lost a set to Christian Langmo, but he was still doing fine, and again, the final I cannot really talk about because we have not seen it, we weren't able to watch it. And uh, the semi-finalists, Alex Mikkelsen, I, I said that uh, he was my pick for the title. He actually struggled in the opening round against Jovier, but I remember pu- pu- uh, sort of uh, saying that was a potential problem. Uh, he beat Andreozzi in a very clean match in the quarters. After that, I thought, okay, he should be winning the title, really, even against Faida and Hijikata. But eventually, we all know that Mikkelsen did not do it. A semi-final is still okay for him, obviously. He is at 111 in the ATP rankings. Still very um, good chance of breaking the top 100 uh, by the end of the year, making Australian Open main draw, which would be huge for the 19-year-old and... Uh, yeah, I, I, I really um, think that he is probably going to do it, you know? He's like Ben Shelton, but less marketable, right? I don't think he has as much explosive potential as Ben Shelton. But is he really uh, sort of worse than Ben Shelton was this time last year? Probably not. And I think with all these American challengers coming up, he has a fantastic chance of, of locking up that Australian Open main draw. And the other semi-finalist was Patrick Kipson, so another solid run for him. He also made the semi-finals in the first event in Kerry, which was um, over a month earlier. And he beat Hertz, Walton and Sandgren here. So I think uh, he actually kind of had the worst 
in terms of the first three, well, the draw in the first three rounds, maybe Mikkelsen similar with uh, Jean Vier and Andreozzi. Uh, I was honestly expecting him to push Hijikata maybe a little bit more in the semis though, and he did not do that. And when it comes to doubles in carry, they were won by Harris and Hijikata. Andrew Harris, of course, the Australian, well, at this point, the doubles specialist. And uh, Rinki uh, did not manage to, to get the singles doubles uh, double. Well, singles doubles double. And it was actually a top seed final between them and Blumberg Martinez, Luis David Martinez. Um, so let's get back to Bolivia then maybe. Santa Cruz, where Mariano Navone won the title over Francisco Comesania. And this was already a f- the third challenger title that they contested against each other. Uh, two of them coming in June 2022 in Corrientes and Buenos Aires. And these two were won by uh, Comesania very easily. I remember Navone was a huge mess in them. And this one also was close for um, for Comesania to win it because Navone went down 4-6, 3-5 down in the um, final. And actually, it was so windy. And all match, I would say that Navone was better at handling these conditions. Like, he was the one hitting through them more easily. And that showed by in the final, you know. That showed because Navone... Um, like, at the finish line, Comesania just didn't have the, the, the last blow, you know, in the rallies. He was unable to wrap up the rallies uh, sort of effectively and uh, sort of j- just put away Navone when it, when it mattered, you know. Uh, Navone, it was actually a crazy run because in the first round he uh, had um, he was in trouble against Matias Soto and Soto save, served for the match. So this is a third challenger title for Navone all this year and he's at 155 in the ATP rankings, which is pretty sick, undeniably. Uh, with um, you know by the because when we were in Poznan. Um, in in June, when he won his first challenger title, this didn't really seem like a possibility yet. Um, he benefited from two retirements of Serundolo and Tirante. But yeah, the final, I think even though he went 4-6, 3-5 down, he was generally the better player throughout. It just wasn't really working out for him, maybe for this one reason or another. But uh, he really was handling the conditions better than Comesania. And speaking of Comesania, still on that insane challenger run, he is actually 29 and 6 in his last eight challengers. That includes eight semifinals, uh, sorry, eight quarterfinals, seven semifinals, uh, two titles, two finals. Ridiculous run, still continuing, still very consistent. Only dropped one set on the way to the final against Colarini. But yeah, I, I just don't think he was that comfortable in the windy conditions in the final. Uh, he's sort of smart serving and the disruptive play, they weren't doing all that much. And he was struggling to get easy points um, either on his serve or on Navone. Uh, or in Navones, which um, for most of the final, you know, for the for the first half of it at least, it wasn't really that important. But when he was just at the brink of of finishing the match, that's when it actually mattered that he had no point winning options, no easy point winning options. And speaking of Andrea Colarini, whom I just mentioned, uh, he had a nice run beating Delian. That was a huge upset according to the bookies, but I don't think if we were really gonna agree with it uh, when it comes to upset of the week, choosing upset of the week later. Fra- uh, Comesania also beat uh, Mena, who in altitude conditions is always dangerous in the quarters, and then he also took a set of Comesania, so a very nice showing from the Argentinian, who is actually back outside the top 200. I didn't expect it was gonna be so... 
Uh, it was going to be so early, but apparently he had some points to defend. And Juan Manuel Serundolo, he was my pick for the title. He lost in the semifinals. He beat Barena, saved the match point against Luz with an ace. Yes, with an ace, Juan Manuel Serundolo. Then beat Sakamoto and retired against Navone. So we'll see how quickly he will be back into the action. He is supposed to play Antofagasta this, next week, so or this week, when because I'm recording this on Monday morning slash afternoon, so... Um, I wonder how that's going to go, uh, if he's already going to be back up there healthy. And when it comes to the doubles in Santa Cruz, we had Boris Arias and Federico Zeballos winning the title. The, the Bolivian uh, top-seeded duo beating Matias Soto and Gonzalo Villanueva. Lots of withdrawals as usual. And um, actually, Arias Zeballos didn't play their quarterfinal match. Soto Villanueva didn't play their, se their semi-final match. So... Uh, you know, as uh, exactly as we tend to see in, in these uh, South American doubles draws. And um, when it comes to the last event, it was Guangzhou 75, Challenger 75 in China, and Terence Atmane won the title, his second Challenger title, and with Zhang Jiagang that he won just a few weeks ago. Uh, so a ridiculous Chinese swing for him. He gets 159 points, he breaks the top 150. And just like in the Zhang Zhegang run, when he saved six match points against Fajing Sun in the opening round, here he also saved match points. He saved three match points against Mark Polmans in the final. He beat Justino Ayeni, Chris O'Connell, huge win in the, in the quarterfinals. This was actually just his second top 100 win, along with the one that he got against Fuchovic in Segovia in, in um, July. And then, yeah, the final against Polmans, uh, very aggressive on the match points. Even when Polnas was approaching the net, his passes were like ballsy, you know, and he 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 actually saved two of them with passing shot winners and one of them with just a, um, what was the third one? I think it was a plus one forehand. Uh, really ballsy shots. He manages to win 11 matches in three Chinese swing events. This is absolutely huge, and he's going to debut in an ATP 250 soon as well. That's because the Zhuhai draw has sort of fallen apart completely, and uh, Atmane, even with his ranking of 218, I think, by the time the main draw cutoff was, was done, he still managed to get in, which is, which is quite wild. But what an opportunity for the Frenchman. I think he will also be able to play Shanghai qualifying, so, so that, is, that is just massive for him. And uh, Mark Polmans was the other finalist. He beat Weber, Sinclair, Tu, Donskoy. This is good for him because he started that Chinese swing with a weird loss to Pelivo, 6163. Um, that 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 you know the lopsidedness of that was definitely a shock, and I think even him losing that was a bit of a shock. Uh, but here he was just back on track, you know, had every chance of winning the final, which would have been his first challenger title in a while, right? Because he hasn't won a challenger since 2019. He has three challenger titles. He won Launceston in 2018, and then Zhang Jagang and Traralgon in 2019. So. So it would have been his first challenger in four years, but Mark Polmans did not manage to get over the line, though. Uh, did he choke? Sort of. I mean, the the return charge that he had that he did on one of the match points was a bit weird. That's not entirely what he was doing, you know, all match. But at the same time, you know, putting more pressure on Atmane, theoretically a good idea. Evgeny Donskoy in the semis, we've said it many times, Donskoy is having a much better year than um, his campaigns, well, at least two campaigns prior. He's winning a ton of matches, he's making challenger runs, 
somewhat regularly, you know, double two quarterfinals at the beginning of the year in Nontaburi, then the semi in Skopje, then now the semi here in Guangzhou. He this was actually his first appearance in a month and a half, and he beat Belier, Kachmazov, Jasika, and lost to Polman. So I think a very, very solid run from the Russian veteran. And the other semi-finalist was Buyun Chaokete. This is really nice for him because in the previous Chinese swing events, he lost early in Zhang Jagang to Rigalete. In Shanghai, he beat Rigalete but lost easily to Giustino. And this is theoretically the part of the season that he should be enjoying a lot. He was excellent in the South Korean swing. But the Chinese one, well, at least he had Guangzhou, right? Uh, beating in Savi and Sweeney. So the wins over Savi and Sweeney, the, Aus- uh, the Australian duo, I think were pretty cool for the 21-year-old Chinese. And then the doubles uh, in Guangzhou, they were actually won by Antoine Bellier and Luca Castelnuovo. So the two Swiss players um, teaming up and they beat uh, Romeos and uh, Ray Ho from... Um, Obviously, Rom is from Australia and uh, Ray Ho from um, Chinese Taipei, Taiwan. And uh, I think this this week we actually had Matsui teaming up with Kalo Velonis because Kaito Wesugi was in um, was playing Davis Cup for Japan in Israel, but uh, they lost in the quarterfinals. And yeah, let's get to the match and upset of the week then. When it comes to match and match of the week, I put out the poll and currently leading it is Shevchenko Brancaccio, Atmane Polmans in second place, Cressy Barrer in third. I have to say I had a lot of issues choosing which uh, Stettin match I should uh, point out because there were so many classics, it seems. Uh, let me start from saying that Shevchenko against everyone besides Kopriva was and a match of the week worthy contender. You know, Shevchenko beating Sachko three match points saved, Shevchenko beating Brancaccio two match points saved and that ridiculous third set tiebreak. And also Shevchenko beating Andreev in the quarters. Uh, then you also had Korya Munar, which despite being straight sets was just ridiculous in terms of the quality. Andreev Gaston, I think also a chance. I'm going to choose a Shevchenko match because yeah, I was there and I want to do that. And I, I will stick with Shevchenko Brancaccio, so what I chose for the poll. Um, I don't think it was the highest quality, but the drama was there constantly. I mean, Shevchenko coming back, so many breaks. I think out of 36 games, 20 were breaks. Uh, and uh, the deciding set tie break, the shot making in that one from both guys was just ridiculous. Uh, Shevchenko saving the, the one of the match points with a beautiful half volley. He really went for it and he managed to get it done and also winning on the forehand pass. Uh, just beautiful. I, I I absolutely love this tiebreaker. I was watching it not even sitting but standing next to the court and just screaming after some of these points, you know. The whole crowd was screaming too. It was, uh, it was really magical. And um, I also have to give a brief shout out to just how good... Um, Friday was in Szczecin in general. Kopriva's Koboli's uh, second set tiebreak against uh, sorry second set tiebreak second set comeback against Kopriva. Shevchenko beating Andreev in this thriller. Maestrelli beating Kachin another like match point saves um, for both players uh, type of match. And Korya Munar was just fantastic for a straight set match too so uh, that was an amazing day that really sort of brings back the the belief and the love that you have for tennis but I'm actually choosing um, Shevchenko Brancaccio which was two days earlier than that 
and uh, yeah, the deciding set tiebreak is something that that's just gonna stick with me. It was it was a fantastic experience to see live. And uh, when it comes to upset of the week, there were some crazy uh, picks. Um, when it comes to the bookmakers' odds in Szczecin, for example, we had Roca Bataya beating Martinez. I don't think that's that huge, but it is big. Maestrelli beating Kachin, sure. I, as I said on the uh, during the Szczecin recap, I sort of underestimated just how uh, much slow clay conditions have been um, hampering Kachin this this year. It seems. Escofia beating Alice in Rennes, that, that wasn't that huge, I think. Alice with a lot of challenger early losses recently. Nothing really in carry. In Santa Cruz, we had that um, Mena beating Ugo Carabelli, but in altitude conditions, that's not really that huge. Reis da Silva beating Darderi, I don't think it's big. Also, Colarini, Delian, I really don't understand what happened there with the odds. Like 7-1 to one underdog Colarini, really? And I don't think there was also much in Guangzhou. Well, Yuncheng Shang losing early was a surprise, but he retired against Omar Jasika, so I'm obviously not choosing that. Um, so I think I will just have to go with, uh, let's say Colarini over Delian anyway. Although I don't think it's quite as huge as, as the bookmakers suggest, but or at least the odds, so maybe even the market suggests. Because, well, Colarini... Um, it's just too good for that, I think. He's, he just has way too much class. But at the same time, it was still in Bolivia, right? Delian, uh, fear, uh, like, picking up some form. It was at home. Okay, I get it. So I'm still going to choose Delian over, uh, Colarini over Delian. But I don't think it's that big, really. Um, yeah, if, if someone saw those, uh, someone who knows the Challenger Tour well saw those odds before the match, I think probably uh, he had the idea of betting on that because, um, yeah. I only saw I only saw them uh, post match and I was like what some bookies even had them uh, had Colarini as like a ten to one underdog which uh, is just completely wild it, it's it's the sort of odds that you would expect in a match between I don't know um, Delian and let's say Arclon Huertas del Pino or or something like that not Andrea Colarini not someone as good as Andrea Colarini. And uh, yeah, now it's time to get over to the previews. So we also have five events coming up. Uh, two of them are Challenger 125s. And this is also interesting because we get a Challenger 100 in South America, which is very, very rare since the pandemic. Uh, we've Since the pandemic, we've had like 95% 75s. So, so that's going to be quite exciting too. We have a 100 in Antofagasta, 75s in Columbus and Sibiu, and also 125s in Bad Waltersdorf and Saint-Tropez. So we will kick off our preview journey in uh, Bad Waltersdorf, I think, the Leijet Open. This is the first edition of this event. As like with usual Austrian challengers on clay, it's pretty fast. I've watched some of the qualifying today, especially Noza Kashnikovsky, which I'm going to mention in a second. I think when I'm recording this, the main draw has not started yet, although, well, it actually is about to start, and it, it is about to start with this match that we have at the top of the draw here, which is Roberto Carbaez-Baena against Josef Kovalik. Good one, right? Instantly. 
Then Lukas Neumayer can play them in the second round um, or a qualifier. There's Pellegrino Rodionov and Marterer Passaro lower down. So that's a very strong section. And this draw is very strong in general. Ramos Vignola is playing Joel Schwarzler, one of the best juniors in the world. Uh, then Agamemnon a qualifier. Fonini Per, that's ridiculous, right, in the first round. One of them can play Misolic. There's Pedro Martinez playing Jan Choinski. Uh, the third seed is Munar playing Sachko. Uh, Denis Novak and um, Denis Novak plays a qualifier. There's Sebastian Sorger playing um, Zdenek Kolar. Sorger is a wild card, which I don't think I really heard about before. Timofey Skatov is the eighth seed playing Molekar in the first round, that, so that's pretty huge too. And the second seed, Bernabe Zapata Miraj plays Adrian Andreev, so we can see that a lot of the seeds have tough draws. Prankaciu and Kopriva also in this, in this section of the draw. And uh, yeah, let's see about the qualifying, because most of them have already been... Well, actually, all of them have already been um, selected. And um, Marvin Müller, Andrea Picione, Handy Squire, Pet Pet Noza, Ergi Kirkin and Timo Stoder are the qualifiers. I think Noza, in these conditions, could be dangerous for someone. Stoder, always a chance. Candy Squire as well, faster clay conditions, why not, right? That is a possibility. So, uh, who do I think is going to win Bad, Walter, Bad Waltersdorf? My guess would be... I don't really know. Karbaez Bayana, if he beats Kovalik, he becomes like a pretty strong favorite, I think, with his Seville title and just how good he is looking recently, even in faster conditions like that. But at the same time, do I trust he's going to beat Kovalik? You know, it's not a, not a given, not a gimme. Uh, Pellegrino Rodiono, this is really tough. Ramos Vignolas, I don't know if I trust him right now, although I like his section, I actually do. Um, but I think I might just pick Jaume Munar as well. Like Sachko Novak, these are dangerous players in these conditions. But N Munar was pretty convincing in uh, Stettin and it took a really special performance from... Um, from Korea to get him out. And also because of what Munar told me in the interview, you know, about really like needing the points to secure his top 100 finish right now, I feel like he will be very motivated to take this title. So I'm gonna, my vote is going to Jaume Munar. Uh, let's see if I'm right in in, uh, in seven days time. Saint-Tropez is the other 125, obviously that's on hard courts. Mattia Bellucci is the defending champion and he is playing. But the big thing is the top seed is Ugo Umber. So a player who's currently in the top 50. Let me check where exactly. I think is it like 36. Yes, indeed, 36. And initially he was supposed to play Liam Brody in the opening round, which would have been an extremely brutal draw. But then um, David Goffin withdrew and Brody is the ninth seed now playing Cressy. Is that even easier? I don't know. I mean, I guess we'll see. Uh, Ugo Umber plays a qualifier and then he has Brauer a qualifier. There's Ben Bonzi in this section too, playing a qualifier and then Grenier or Albot. Grégoire Barrer, the third seed, plays Arthur Gea, the talented uh, French junior. One of them can play Cazot or Blanchet. That's a good one. I mean, Barrer, Cazot, I want to see this in the second round. And this is also a strong section. Cressy Brody round one and then Klein or a qualifier. Michael Moe is the fifth seed playing Jesper de Jong, then Escoffier or a qualifier. The defending champ Bellucci is in this third quarter playing Emilio Nava. And one of them can face fourth seed Richard Gasquet or Giulio Zepieri. 
what a strong draw. And even the the fourth quarter is also so rough to predict. Gaston Lestien, great round one match. Nardi Ofner, wow. And then Elias Immer and our Arol Mayor also there and a couple of qualifiers. When it comes to the qualifiers, let me look at Saint-Tropez. Has it already been completed? I don't think so. I think some of them have been. Well, Dana Dead is the only qualifier we have so far. Peter Gojovczyk should be in there as, uh, quickly because, well, soon, because he is serving for the match against Koulibaly. Matthias Borg is up a set on Billy Harris. There also might be Oleksii Krutyk later or Mark, Mark Layal or Jules-Marie or uh, Kirion Jacquet. That's a great final qualifying round matchup too. And uh, when it comes to who I think will win this title... This is rough. Uh, everyone has some danger on their way. Uh, besides Ugo Umber, you know, playing a qualifier, Brower qualifier, Grenier, Albot, Bonzi. I like the draw for Umber. I, I really don't want to pick him because, like, top seed and I want to go for something interesting, right? I, I was thinking of Kazo, seriously. Um, I really think it, it's a possibility, but I have to go with Ugo Umber just because his draw is so much easier than all the other top contenders, basically. So um gonna go with Ugo Umber here. Is there a chance for any, um, any sort of um, theme here? I don't think so, right? I picked Munar in Bad Waltersdorf, the third seed, and now Umber in uh, the first seed in uh, Saint-Tropez. And uh, now we have three challenger. Oh, sorry, one more challenger. One hundred, as I said earlier, in South America. I got used to challengers in South America being seventy-five, as I said. In Antofagasta, Antofagasta is in Chile, as as I remember, as far as I remember. I actually have not checked, and this is obviously really important. Uh, what sort of altitude we're talking about in Antofagasta? Uh, looks like it's no, it's it's on the coast. Of the Pacific, so no, it's it's not going to be an altitude. It's regular clay conditions, and yeah, let's see let's see what happens here. So uh, Juan Manuel Serundolo, the top seed, he plays Victor Durasovic. Durasovic playing in South America because I think he visited uh, because of the Davis Cup, right? They played uh, Peru, I think away Norway did. Uh, there's Camilo Carabelli in this section. Mateus Pucinelli de Almeida playing Adolfo Daniel Vallejo. Facundo Bagnis, who really needs some points if he wants to think of a top 100 finish, is the sixth seed. Gennaro uh, Alberto Olivieri, the fourth seed, plays a qualifier, then Poruchaga or Rodriguez Taverna. Francisco Comesania, can his crazy run of challenger quarterfinals continue? Maybe he plays a qualifier and then Delian or Olivo. So as long as he's not too tired after his last week's results, I think he really easily could be in the quarters again. Ugo Delian is the fifth seed, and he could face Colarini again in the second round, but to do that, he needs to beat a qualifier, and Colarini needs to beat uh, Reis da Silva. Alejandro Tapilo is the third seed, playing Tristan Boyer and Navone and Orhaide. Luciano Darderi, eighth seed, kind of nice draw, although second round against Eduardo Ribeiro or Juan Carlos Prado Angelo, the Rangaros runner-up, that's not, doesn't have to be easy. Thomas Barrios Vera, the second seed. I mean, he has slowed down considerably recently. I don't think it's truly his fault, like, completely. It's also been the fact that, you know, he played Davis Cup, he played some hard courts. So it is a question right now whether on clay he's actually going to be just as good as he was before Wimbledon, let's say. 
Uh, and it's a question I don't know the answer to, but he, he has been losing a little bit. So I wonder if that top 100 finish is going to happen for him. He obviously has a wonderful shot not defending any points until the end of the year. But you still need to get over the line. And uh, yeah, I am sort of scared to pick Barrios Vera here. Antofagasta, I think, have not started their final qualities round yet. Well, they, they have started, but it's like one game when I'm recording this. Uh, so who could be dangerous of the potential qualifiers? It's not Altitude, so not Facundo Mena probably. Uh, Sak- Sakamoto maybe, Boscardin Diaz, a clear junior. But yeah, probably no one who's really winning the event. And I kind of think I should follow up on my Serundolo pick from last week and trust him again. I know he retired, but if he's healthy... Well, Durasovic in the first round, that doesn't have to be easy. Huh, this is rough. Uh, usually I would go Comesania here, but because he was a bit tired in the final in Santa Cruz, I don't really trust him that much anymore uh, in this position. So um, I don't want to pick him. Tabilo potentially playing Navona in the second round. Nah, that, that's not good. Well, maybe Bug. No, Bug is the... Olivieri, I don't think he's that strong a favorite. Let's just go Juan Manuel Serundolo then. Uh, it's an uninspired pick, but I think this draw is very tough to predict. And then maybe let's come back to Europe for a moment for the challenger in Sibiu, a challenger 75. We've got Jombor Piroš as the top seed playing Nicolas Sanchez Izquierdo. And the defending champion, by the way, is Nerman Fatic, who's the eighth seed here, but not in this section yet. Uh, Gianessi is there playing Bor Artnak uh, as a wildcard. Mate Valkus finally back on like a, in like a proper tour setting because he played Davis Cup and I think he also played um, US Open qualities, didn't he? And uh, Ivan Gakov is the fourth seed playing Clement Tabour. This match is actually going on already, I have to note, and they're tied at once at all. This is the only CBU match that uh, has, um, you know, reached that sort of level yet. Like the only other, um, only other ones have just br- barely started. Uh, Alexander Weiss is in this section as well. Fatic, the aforementioned defending champ, can play Diaz or Bonadio in the second round. Se- uh, Stefano Travaglia will play Sebastian Gima. Let's see if Travaglia follows up on that US Open qualifying run. He can play Taberner or Blancano in the second round, so it's not that easy. Damir Jumhur, I think he was the runner-up last year, and he plays Nicolas David Yonel. Yonel in Davis Cup, he was thrashed by Chunsin Tseng, so I don't know if he'll be dangerous. Ajdukovic Maestrelli, that's a huge one in the opening round. And I think also Koboli, the second seed, could be a, a danger here. He plays Caruso and then Lavagno or a qualifier. Lavagno has slowed down considerably. And uh, when it comes to the qualifiers, we've probably had that done already. Yes, Danku, Gianu, Verbensky, Laksonen, Paulson and Emery. Well, Calvin Emery, of course, if he fires up, can be dangerous. Andrew Paulson, uh, really strong right now. Laksonen, maybe if he finds some form again. Gianu used to have some runs in the Romanian challengers. Uh, But I'm probably not looking at them as potential title threats. I am thinking of Piroš, but yeah, Serdarusic in the second round, I don't really like that. Piroš has been sort of unconvincing, uh, but I sort of want to pick him because he's a nice guy, you know, I, I want him to break that top 100 and he will be dropping the Gwangyu points soon. Um, the nice guy factor is definitely coming in there for me when I when I see Piroš in this draw. I think I'm just going to go with Koboli then. 
he is still so wild, so inconsistent, but also uh, sometimes he just shows you how talented he is and sort of wins points without having to try, really, you know, makes things so easy for himself, like he did in the second set against Kopriva. And I like this draw for him. Uh, it starts off a bit slow, then he plays Aydukovic uh, or Maestrelli in the quarters. I'm going to pick Flavio Cobolli to win the title in Sibiu. He only still has one uh, challenger title in Zadar. And uh, with the way that he's playing this year, I think the fact that he hasn't made a challenger final yet is a little surprising. And uh, then the last one is in Columbus. So this is the tournament that uh, plays on the Ohio State courts. They're very, very fast. Jordan Thompson won last year over Emilio Gomez. Gomez is here as the third seed, but Thompson chose not to defend his title. Obviously, right now he's ranked very, very high. And uh, Enzo Cuoco is the top seed, playing a qualifier, then a qualifier or Ethan Queen. Alexis Galarno, by the way, who had a ridiculous performance at Davis Cup, winning three singles matches and two doubles, I think. Uh, he plays Juan Pablo Fikovic and then Locorio a qualifier. One concern with Galarno, though, is that I think he might have a hard time recovering because, well, Davis Cup, he played in Europe, right? Uh, Emilio Gomez, third seed, he can play Canon Kingsley or Richard in the second round. That's a big hitting matchup. Canon Kingsley is a former Ohio State player too, so, so he knows these courts so well. Zacharis Faida, Guido Andreozzi, that's a huge one in the opening round too. Christian Harrison, Aziz Dugas. Uh, fifth seed is Sandgren playing Marchenko in like a veteran matchup. I wonder if they actually ever played. I'm going to check that in um, a short moment. Sandgren, Marchenko, they actually have not played, so so that's interesting. It sounds like a vintage matchup, but it actually is the first time they're going to face each other. They can play Peniston or a qualifier. There's James Tracy and Justin Boulay with wildcards, so uh, for more college players. Vasek Pospisil, the fourth seed, against Nishaj Basavaredi. Pospisil played a bit at Laver Cup, uh, sorry, Laver Cup, Davis Cup, obviously, and he beat Leo Borg, so I don't know if that's an indicator of form, but he should be dangerous here. Adam Walton plays Giovanni Mpeci Pericard. Seventh, uh, Walton is the seventh seed. One of them can play Skulkade or Shellbike. And also Dennis Kudla in the sec is the second seed. And Kudla could be huge here, I think, with uh, just how f quick and uh, low bouncing these courts are, right? At least that's what it should be. We'll see, but because uh, Kudla has not been doing well, naturally. Um... Yeah, let's think about who can win this one. And I think Columbus has not started their qualifying yet for sure, but in the final round we've got guys like Elmar Ejupovic, Federico Agustin Gomez, Aidan Mayo. This could be uh, someone who, who does well. Preston Stearns, by the way, so I'm assuming that's a brother of Peyton, the WTA player. And Bernie Tomek as well won uh, against uh, Puttergill last night, Callum Puttergill. So, Callum? Callum, I guess. And uh, he's going to play Toby Samuel. So I don't know if he's going to be through, but uh, but he could be. No, we'll see. And uh, yeah, who am I picking here? Uh, I was thinking of Quaco. I remember him doing decent in Columbus last year. And he has that underrated serve. He's pretty good in quicker conditions. I think I want to go for Pospisil, though. He kind of convinced me, you know, with the Davis Cup appearance, even though it was pretty brief. Well, no, but actually he has the same issue as Galarno, right? Flying over. Um, Kudla, I feel like he's going to disappoint. 
in a section with Kruger, Walton, Patchy Pericard. Let's go Enzo Cueco. Um I think he's sort of due a bit of a challenger run, you know. Recently, he hasn't really been getting there. And, on, of course, he's still amazing at Grand Slam qualifying. I remember him doing okay at these courts last year. So, so that's basically why I'm picking him. Um, but whether that's actually going to work out for me, uh, this is something that we're going to learn in seven days' time. Um, well, I wanted to thank you guys for being here and listening all the way until the end. Hope you enjoyed the usual podcast and also the, the stretching content. And uh, yeah, I also have to say that I am uh, going to be back in seven days time when I'm going to discuss Antofagasta, Columbus, Sibiu, Bad Waltersdorf and Saint-Tropez. Again, this went pretty smoothly and uh, yeah, I'll see you guys then. Bye.